If you could migrate back to your seats now, we'll resume with our worship. So we left out a couple announcements. So one is that we, we, didn't, we didn't tell Jeff ahead of time. Is Bradford Care Group is meeting today. So right after church, we'll be meeting at the Kings. Uh, so that's one announcement. And side-by-side youth group will not be meeting this Saturday because of work day. So we encourage all the youth to come out and uh, participate in, in work day. So two announcements. And uh, Pastor Paul, our lead pastor, is not here today. Uh, he is away in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, with uh, helping out a sister church of ours uh, there. So we can be praying for him, and I'll be uh, preaching uh, in his stead uh, this morning. Uh, but first, let me pray for us, and we'll get on with the rest of the worship service. With your Lord, you know how unworthy I am to stand here before you to preach to your people. Lord, you know that all of us are unworthy unworthy to stand before you, before your throne, in your presence. It is because of your mercy, it is because of your grace that we approach your throne with confidence, Lord God. Won't you speak to us? We are here. We are beholden to your voice this morning. Come powerfully, Change us so that all of us may live in a manner that is worthy of your calling, so that every single one of us in this room today will leave this place transformed and challenged by your gospel, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. King of Grace Church, If I don't have your attention already, follow me, imitate me, watch me, okay? Follow me, imitate me, watch me. If I said this to you every time I came up on the pulpit, you would think that I am very prideful in the least and probably narcissistic, right? (laughs) That would probably be your assumption. But interestingly enough, Apostle Paul says exactly that at least six times throughout his letters. I'm going to go through them real quickly. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 to 17, he says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Philippians 4, 9, what you have heard and seen in me, practice these things. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 to 9, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. In 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 11, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. And then finally, our passage for this morning from Philippians 3, 17 to 21. Please follow along with me in your Bibles as we read Philippians 3, 17 to 21. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and not tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this is another seventh passage in one of the letters of Apostle Paul where he says, imitate me. So what is going on here? What is the deal with all this imitating? So that's what we're going to explore this morning, and I'm going to do it in three phases. The first is going to be what or who are we imitating? It's going to be the first phase. And then second is going to be uh, what does it mean to imitate? And then third, it's going to be why should we imitate anything and someone or whoever it might be. So first, let's begin with what are we imitating? So what, who are we imitating? So obviously, Apostle Paul says, join in imitating me. Is Apostle Paul being kind of self-focused and prideful and narcissistic here? Because that would be the first inclination to think when you read that, imitate me, imitate me. But he's, that's not what he's saying because we know that because in verse 17, he starts out with this address. He says, brothers. Of course, that includes sisters as well. That's an inclusive term. He's saying brothers, and that's a humble and affect- affectionate address. He's not saying children. He's not saying students. He's not saying sheep. He's saying brother. He's putting himself at the same level of the people that he is addressing. He's saying brothers. And he says, not just join in imitating me. He says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He goes from imitating me, and then he goes to keep your eyes on us. And in chapter 2, we talked about a couple weeks ago, um, Pastor Paul preached to us about following the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. Right? These are people that you should follow. Their examples are good, and that you should follow their example. So he's including all these people. He's not just saying imitate me because I'm perfect, Imitate me because I'm all that, but imitate those who walk according to the example that you see in, in Apostle Paul, in those people. And, and what does this look like? What, what are we imitating exactly? And Pastor Jeff preached to us last week about what Apostle Paul said. He said, it's not that I've already attained perfection. It's not that I've already attained all these things, but... Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So that's what we ought to imitate. It's Apostle Paul said, I consider all things rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's what we ought to imitate. It's that hope in Christ. You don't have anything else on your mind. Your single-minded goal for your life, your only hope in life is to see Christ glorified, to see Christ exalted. That's your hope in life, and that's what we ought to imitate. So he's saying here, not because he's all that, not because he's perfect, but he's saying imitate me. Imitate those who hope in Christ. Imitate those who hope in Christ. But why... Doesn't he just make it simpler and just say, okay, imitate Christ, right? I mean, because that's what he says in chapter 2, imitate Christ's humility. He says that. Why doesn't he do that here? Why doesn't he just say imitate Christ? Why does he have to say put himself in there? Is he kind of being self-focused? Why is he saying imitate me? And I think the very simple reason for that is Christ is not physically present in Philippi. He dwells in every true believer in the Philippian church. He indwells us through the Holy Spirit, but he's not physically there for people to see and follow. And we need close models that we can watch 
and follow as people. It's, it's, something, it's, it's one thing to, to hear about how to do watercoloring to produce art. Something else to see someone do it in front of you to produce a masterpiece in watercoloring, right? It's one thing to hear about a missionary far away who lives a very disciplined and godly life. It's something entirely different to see a friend who exemplifies that in his life. We need close examples, and that's what's God's intention. Intention. His intention is that we, as the people of God, as the church of Christ, are carriers of God. We are the ones through whom people see God, who meet God. We are the ones who are to be representatives of God to other people. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, imitate me because as I imitate Christ, because that's, that's how God, was intended, God intended it to be. So that's then who, what we are to imitate. This what we have to imitate is summarized in Philippians 2, 1 to 4. We have that um, up on the screen. This is the heart. This is the theme of Philippians, the whole epistle, the whole letter in Philippians 2, 1 to 4. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So what do you see in this, in this summary, in this passage? You see unity, you see humility, and you see selflessness. People that we ought to imitate among us is, are people that exemplify these characteristics. They're united in Christ, they're humble, and they have others' interests, not just of their own. So look out for people. We need, Apostle Paul is saying, keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's talking to the Philippians about the people that the Philippian church can see. And there's people in our church that you can see, that you can follow, who exemplify these things. At, at least you can think of first, Pastor Paul, obviously our lead pastor, and Pastor Jeff. They really do exemplify what it means to follow Christ. And we're blessed as a church to have them. And I, I praise God because I haven't been to too many churches where you see such godly leaders and on the pastoral staff. So what does it mean to be selfless? What does it mean to be united in Christ? What does it mean to be humble? Follow, look, watch. Look at what drives them. Look at where their hope lies. What are they living for? What makes them tick? What's their goal in life? Follow that example. Follow that example. So what or who are we to imitate? We are to imitate those who hope in Christ. So then what does it mean to imitate? Because imitation gets a bad rep nowadays, right? It's, we're all about, okay, be yourself. You got to find yourself. You got to be different. You got to be unique. You got to fulfill yourself. Don't imitate anybody. Don't try to be like somebody else. Be yourself. That's what, that's what our culture tells us. That's what our society tells us. So why, why should we imitate? Imitation has, has a bad connotation. If it's an imitation of something, it's fake. It doesn't have the same value as the real thing. That's what we think of, right? For example, Louis Vuitton imitation. What is that? <laughs> Who wants that, right? So <laughs> people talk about. Or imitation iPad. <laughs> you don't want that because it's fake. It doesn't have the same value. But that's, there's two kinds of imitations. The first is the bad kind that we're just talking about. Where the real thing isn't there, it's empty, it's fake. You're pretending to be something that you're not, right? You pretend like you're helping somebody, but really you're just trying to help yourself. That's fake. That's pretending. That's bad imitation. But the, there's a good kind of imitation as well. 
Because sometimes you just don't feel friendly. Maybe you guys all do, but I sometimes don't. <laughs> and I need to help someone. I know that I ought to be friendly. So what do I do? Do I say, oh, no, I just have to be myself. I have to be true to myself, so I'll just be mean. No, of course not. You know you ought to be friendly, so even though you don't feel friendly, you imitate the friendliness. You act as though if you are friendlier and nicer than you actually are. And when you do that, then you actually feel more friendly when you do that. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> That's how it always works. And the same thing with children. We see it in children all the time. The people here, it's, a lot of you are parents. They play house, right? They play grown-up. They never play children. They always play grown-up. The girls are never playing girls. They're always playing mothers. They wear the apron. They cook. They send their students off to school. The boys, what are they doing? They don't play boys. They play men. They play soldier. They, play, they read the newspaper or act like <laughs> they mow the lawn. And what is, what is happening there? Why do children all play grown-up as they grow up? Because that's the process in which they actually grow up. By acting like grown-ups, by pretending, imitating grown-ups. That's a process in which their minds mature, their bodies grow, and they are able to eventually fill that role in earnest. That's what happens. So it's the same thing. Imitation is not all bad. There is a good kind of imitation. And as you do that, as you imitate those who hope in Christ, you're going to find Christ right next to you eventually. As you walk in light of that, as you live as though your hope is really in Christ, you're going to see Christ transforming you. Him walking side by side with you, making you into what you are imitating, making you into, turning you into what you hope to be. So what does it mean to imitate? That's what it means. You live as though your hope lies in Christ. So imitate those who hope in Christ. And this is the genius of Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 where he says, you are now a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Right? He doesn't say, you are now becoming a new creation. The old is, come, old is going and the new is coming. No, he says, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is the genius of that teaching. That he's exploiting a perfection that is already there rather than striving after an ideal that is seemingly impossible. He's saying, you are a new creation. You can do this. Christ is with you. And as we live in light of that, as we live as though we, all our hope is in Christ, even if you don't always feel that, that's what you become. That's what Christ helps us to be. That's what it means to imitate. So who are we imitating? We imitate those who hope in Christ. And what does it mean to imitate? We imitate as we, we live and behave as though our hope is all in Christ. But why should we imitate? Right? Why should we imitate? This is what Apostle Paul spends the most of this passage explaining. And it starts in verse 18. He says, For... That's the reason, that's because, the reason why we should imitate those who hope in Christ. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So why should we imitate those who hope in Christ? Because if you don't imitate those who hope in Christ, you're going to imitate those who don't have their hope in Christ. Because we're always imitating somebody. We're getting influenced by somebody. We're all social creatures, and there's not a single person on earth who is fully independent. Everybody is influenced by someone else. They're affected by some other people in their lives. 
We're always imitating somebody. And even if you go out and say, oh, I'm not going to imitate anybody. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to be my own woman. I'm going to do everything as I only, only I want to do it. Even at that very moment, you're imitating some other nonconformist maverick that has gone before you. You're, not, you're always imitating somebody. So if you don't imitate those who hope in Christ, you're going to imitate the enemies of the cross of Christ. You're going to imitate those people whose end is their destruction. And this is harsh language, right? Apostle Paul's using it. But he's not just condemning. He's not going on this tirade. of He's not vindictively just denouncing these people who are the enemies of Christ. Because he says in verse 18, For many of whom I have often told you and not tell you even with tears, he has tears for these enemies of Christ. And that's something that we have to, model, we have to follow, the example we have to follow as well. And this tears is not just soft tears, gentle tears that we might imagine. Actually, the same word is used in Luke of a widow who loses her only son. She weeps. That widow has no standing in society. She has no husband and she now has no son, no child. She has no standing in society and she weeps that way when she has experienced that kind of a loss. Apostle Paul weeps for these people like that. His heart clutches, he just twists, his stomach twists in itself. He's passionate for these people. He's broken for these people, these enemies of the cross of Christ. And who are these enemies of the cross of Christ? And, and Apostle Paul doesn't give us that many clues here directly in this passage. He doesn't explain what it means to have their God as their belly or to get glory in their shame. So we need to look to other passages where Apostle Paul teaches on similar topics. And enemies of the cross of Christ comes up in Galatians 6, 11 to 15. I don't have these on the, up on the screen, but you can uh, listen, follow along with me. It says, Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So the cross of Christ, this idea comes up here in Galatians 6. What does it mean to follow the cross of Christ? What does it mean to carry the cross of Christ? That means you are dead to this world because you have died on the cross of Christ. Your hope is not on earthly things. Your hope is set in heaven. You don't boast in anything other than the cross of Christ. You don't boast in your income. You don't boast in your job. You don't boast in your family. You don't boast in your looks. You don't boast in anything else. You boast in Christ. Your hope is in Christ alone. That's what it means so to be, to be carrying the cross of Christ. So enemies of the cross of Christ are people who have not died to the world, people who are not carrying the cross of Christ. And their end is destruction. And this end doesn't just mean the end of life. This is the end, the ultimate end, the final judgment. It's going to be destruction. It's going to be hell. And their God is their belly. It's a funny expression, right? Their God is their belly. And we can look at Romans 16, 17 to 18 for an example of that. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own bellies. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. These are people who have selfish interests rather than the interests of Christ. Because they're seeking not the interest of Christ, but their own selfish interests, they cause divisions in the church because they're trying to make followers of themselves not followers of Christ. Because they're seeking to glorify themselves, not to glorify Christ. They're not seeking Christ's fame, they're seeking their own fame. And so they cause division. So their God is their belly. They're, serving not, they're not serving God, they're just serving their physical appetites, their fleshly impulse, their desires. That's, that's the end of their life. That's their God. 
And these people are not just people that are far away because Apostle Paul, the way the expression that he used of weeping, speaking with weeping, even with tears, that he reserves that for people that are professing Christians. So he's talking here about professing Christians whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly. So don't think that this is something that's far away. There are people who think that they're following Christ, but yet they're living as if they're as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. What should be to their shame, this shame is, of course, it also refers to the, the judgment at the end times. Those who hope in the Lord will never be put to shame, Psalms 25.3. So these people do not hope in the Lord. They glory in themselves. They glory in something other than Christ. And because of that, their glory will be turned to shame. That's what these people are. Their minds are set on earthly things. This summarizes all of this. What, is, what does it mean to be an enemy of the cross of Christ? Their minds are set on earthly things. And I want to ask you, we, Apostle Paul is telling us here to imitate those who hope in Christ. Who are you imitating in your life? Because you're imitating somebody. Who are you watching in your life? Who are you keeping your eyes on in your life? Maybe a well-to-do neighbor who's storing up treasures here on earth. Maybe you're a boss who seems to have control over your life. Maybe your friend who's cooler than you or a celebrity who is better looking than you. Who are you watching? Who are you trying to be? Who are you following? Who are you watching in your life? Are you watching people whose minds are set on earthly things who care about storing treasures up in, on earth and not in treasures up in heaven, who are more concerned about making themselves famous than making Christ famous? Who are you watching in your life? If you don't watch, if you don't watch those who hope in Christ, you're going to watch those who are enemies of the cross. You're going to watch those whose minds are set on earthly things. So imitate those who hope in Christ. Imitate those who hope in Christ. So that's the first reason why we should imitate those who hope in Christ. And second reason he gives in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. The citizenship, this word, is in, it can be also be translated as colony, or commonwealth. And this would have been very uh, applicable to the Philippian church in particular because the city of Philippi was at that time a colony of Rome. And that means that Philippi, the city, is governed by and administered by all the rules of Rome. It's as if you're living in Rome. If you live in Philippi, you're governed by all the Roman rules. And it's, if you want to think of an American example to kind of help you understand it, it might be like Puerto Rico. Right? It's a commonwealth of the United States. If you live in Puerto Rico, you don't technically live in the United States of America because it's not an incorporated state of, of the United States of America, but you're still a U.S. citizen. Right? So if you live in Puerto Rico, you can't just say when they come for federal taxes, oh, I'm Puerto Rican, I don't pay U.S. taxes. <laughs> no, yes, you do. You're a U.S. citizen. <laughs> you have to pay taxes to the U.S. government. Or when they come, if they're in war, they come for compulsory draft. They say, you have to be drafted into the army to fight for the United States of America. You can't say, oh, I'm Puerto Rican. I don't have to do that. You do have to because you're a U.S. citizen. The same thing. He says, Apostle Paul says, your citizenship is in heaven. 
You're going to be held accountable to the standards of heaven, not of the standards of the earth. So why are you living as though you're accountable to the things of earth? Why are you living with the earthly things in mind? Live with the heavenly things in mind because that's where your citizenship lies and that's the standard by which you're going to be judged. It makes no sense to not live as if your citizenship is in heaven when you're on earth. So don't try to accumulate goods here on earth. Don't try to be successful in the eyes of the world. Seek Christ. Hope in Christ because your citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And we await a Savior. Savior was actually a term that was commonly used for Caesar in the Roman Empire as well, which is interesting here. So Apostle Paul has to clarify, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your Savior is not Caesar even though he seems to have a lot of control over your life. Of Philippines, obviously, the early church were being persecuted by Caesar and Roman Emperor and the Roman Empire. They seem to wield a lot of power over you, but your Savior is not Caesar. Your goal in life, your hope does not lie in pleasing Caesar. In the same way, our hope does not lie in our government. Yes, the presidential election is coming up, and we do need to be wise and discerning in what we, what we do. But your ultimate hope doesn't lie with our government. Your life is not going to be turned around and made all for the better just because we have the right president. Because we still live in the sinful world, there's still going to be problems in this world. Your Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Just dream with me for a moment. We have a far better hope in heaven. We have a far better hope in Christ than we have, the hope that we have here. Because we, we're, a lot of people are sick, aren't we? We have people in our church struggling with diabetes. We have people in our church who have struggled with cancer. I watch my wife as she has arteritis. She can't run with me because of pain. Our lowly bodies, literally it's a body of humiliation. It's dying because of sin, because of decay, because of weakness, because of illness. It's ultimately subject to death itself. But God's going to take our body of humiliation, our lowly body, and he's going to make it like his glorious body. And there will be no sickness. The cripple will walk in heaven. The blind will see in heaven. The lame will rise up. The old will be able to run around. He's going to make our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Just dream with me for a moment. We're going to be in the presence of God. You think that the things of earth can satisfy you? You think that the things you can pursue here on earth are going to be more pleasurable to you than pursuing God himself, than pursuing Christ and having your hope in Christ? You can't. Just dream with me for a moment. Like, what does it mean? God, every good and perfect gift comes from God, it says in James. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. That means everything good that you have ever experienced is from God. Every pleasure, every joy, every good thing here on earth. And that's going to be infinitely magnified in your presence of God. I dream that, imagine, I love uh, music, but I understand that human beings only hear a fraction of the sound frequencies that are, that are in the world. I imagine that in our glorified body, maybe we'll be able to hear music that we've never heard before. Something so beautiful that you can't even imagine. 
I imagine some of you are artists, but I know that human bodies can only see a fraction of the electromagnetic spectrum, the light spectrum. Maybe in our glorious body we will be able to see it all and see God in his glorious splendor, see beauty and art like we've never seen before. You think the joys of this world are pleasurable? You think that we have pleasure in this world by the things that we do, the joys that we share with our friends? Imagine being in the very presence of the God who died for you, who resurrected for you, who loves you more than anybody ever has or can, and being in his intimate presence. Our glory is so much greater than the glory that this earth can offer. Our hope is so much brighter than the hope that this earth can offer. So why are you setting your hope on earth? Set your hope in Christ. Imitate those who hope in Christ. And how do we know that this is going to happen? Because it says at the end, by the power that enables him, he's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He already died for our sins. He took care of our sins. He died. And in his cross and resurrection, we see the, the, the depth of human depravity. We see the end of human history without God. We see cruelty. We see death. That's what, that's what human history leads to without God. We see that on the cross. But Christ didn't stay dead. He resurrected. He gives us hope of life that we're going to go live beyond death. That we have a life to come. And we know that this is going to happen. We know this is going to happen because Christ resurrected. And we know that he has a power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Even Caesar that persecutes you. Even your government. Even your boss. Even your struggles. Even your peers. Even your fears. He has power to subject all things to himself. And because he has that power, we know this kingdom is coming. We know this glory is waiting for us. We know that this hope is sure. And that's why we set our hope in Christ. We ought to imitate those whose hope is in Christ. And some of you are still a little queasy about, you know, telling people, imitate me, or follow me, follow my example, right? But some of you who are mature, and there are people among, there are people here who are mature, should be setting those kind of examples and telling Younger believers, not just in age, but in faith, to follow your example. Let me uh, tell you this story from uh, D.A. Carson. D.A. Carson is a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and he, he once told this story of, about his time in McGill University, where he is an undergraduate science major. He decided to start a Bible study for unbelievers, because he wanted to see them come to Christ. And it was him and another friend, Christian friend, that started it together. And they were kind of nervous because it's going to be a Bible study for unbelievers. So they didn't want to be outnumbered. So they decided to invite only three people, hoping that two people would show up. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, all three of them came the first day. So they were outnumbered from the beginning. And by week five, they had 16 people. They were growing. And very soon, D.A. Carson realized he's, he's out of his depths. He doesn't know how to answer all these questions that these guys have. He's, they're studying out of the Gospel of John. But thankfully, there, there was a graduate student named David Ward. He had a spectacular conversion when he was, young, when he was a young man, and he was what you would call like a rough jewel. He's kind of slept, you know, kind of, he's very bold. He's aggressively evangelistic. You know what I'm talking about. He's winningly bold. 
He's powerful and he's apologetic. But he's a little rough on the edges. You know, he, he'll get in your face and tell you, what, tell you what he thinks. And every time he, doesn't have, he didn't know an answer to a question, he would take the students that were in his Bible study to David Ward. And he would sort things out. And that's what he did this one time too. He took two students to David Ward to talk to David Ward. And as he usually does, David Ward just pulled us through the, through the room. He, he served everybody coffee. He said, you sit down, sit down. There's two men right here. <laughs> First, you. Why are you here? And, and the men said, well, I think college is a great time for me to explore things and to try new things and to learn about different religions. So, so I'm here. It's because I've, I've studied Buddhism. I've read books on Buddhism. I have a friend, Hindu friend. I intend to talk to him about Hinduism too. And uh, I, uh, I, am, I probably should study Islam too, right? Yeah. And, and I heard about this Bible study, so I came because I think I should learn more about Christianity too. And then David Ward looks at him for a few seconds, stares at him, he says, I don't have time for you. You're just goofing around. You're playing around. You're a dilettante. You don't really care about these things, about how these things should change your life, and it is earth-shaking truths. You just want to dabble in different religions. You're just goofing around. I don't have time for you. Are you kidding me? He says, are you, pardon me? Is that what you're saying? No, I don't have to. I'll give you a book on world religions. You can read that, and I can tell you why I think the biblical Christianity is true. But I don't have time for you if you're not serious about pursuing this faith. So he's a little taken aback, and he turns to a second student. So why are you here? <laughs> second student is just as bold. He says, well, I come from a church that you guys call liberal. I come from a United Church of Christ church. And in our church, we have advanced a little further than you guys, and we believe that Christ's resurrection never happened. Come on, are you kidding me? People resurrecting from the dead? This just doesn't happen. And but I still come from a good Christian family. You know? I try to help our community. Our family is good. My parents love me. I try to do good for the world. What do you have that I don't have? And then David Ward stared at him for what it seemed like hours, <laughs> but just a, two minutes or so. And then he said, watch me. Wait, pardon me? What did you just say? And he explained himself, watch me. I have another bed in my apartment Move in with me. Watch me for a semester. See, watch me when I get up. See what drives me and motivates me. See how I interact with other people. And then at the end of the sem semester, you tell me if there's a difference. Well, this student didn't take him up on the offer. But he did watch him. And he began to meet with him. And he converted. And now he's a medical missionary. There's some of you who know what it means to set your hope in Christ, to live for nothing but Christ, to be single-minded in your drive and your goal to go, go get to one thing that's to exalt Christ, to glorify Christ. If you are, you should be telling young believers among you in this church, come on, watch me. Watch me, I'll show you how to do Bible study. Come, watch me. I will show you how to pray. Come, watch me. I'll show you how to be a father, a man, a wife, a woman, I'll show you how to be a brother, a sister, a son, a daughter. You should be doing that. If you're not doing that, you're not being biblical because that's what Apostle Paul's doing here. Come watch me. I will show you. And some of you 
are maybe not there yet. But you ought to imitate those who hope in Christ. Imitate, live as if you already have your hope in Christ. Set your eyes on those people who hope in Christ. See what makes them tick. See, follow them. I don't mean, you know, dress like them or copy their schedule and follow their daily routine. It's something of a mindset, isn't it? Your attitude, the humility, the unity, the selflessness, people that live not for themselves, people who live for Christ and have the interests of others in mind. Identify those people in your midst because there are people in this church. Imitate those who hope in Christ. Because that hope is sure. That hope will not disappoint. Let's pray together. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Riches I heed not, nor men's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. Oh God, that is our prayer this morning. We want you to be our treasure. We want to know and believe, not just in our minds, but in our hearts, that there is nothing as glorious as pursuing you and setting all our hopes in you and you alone. We seek not men's praise. We seek not riches. We seek the glories of heaven, and we will settle for nothing else, Lord. Help us to be people that others can imitate. Help us to imitate those who hope in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.